0: Please take your Bible and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2, We're going to Look verses 1 through 10. And by the way, I haven't said this in a few weeks, but if you don't have a Bible, um, I have one for you. I'd love to give it to you. And so find me after the worship service, So I need a Bible, and I will get you one promptly. We're going through Ephesians, I'll probably be in Ephesians another month, uh, you know, four, five, six weeks or so. Uh, Last week we looked at the question, the overall thing that we're looking at at Ephesians uh, this time through is how Ephesians helps us to see life differently. Everything in life, all the important things in life differently. Last week we looked at society. How does Ephesians help us us to see society differently? differently? And um, And how does God invite us to be a part of this new society? Today, we're looking uh, on a really individual level. How does God invite us to see you being a human being, a real human being, differently? What does it mean to be truly human? So let's read verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins Why don't we start with a prayer? Heavenly Father, as we have just read your word to us, may it sink into our hearts. May it bring clarity to how we see ourselves. May it bring a hunger, a great hunger, for us to know you more deeply and to live in your grace, in your love, and your mercy. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to be truly human? You may be thinking, well, that's a dumb question. What kind of question is that? What does it mean to be human? I am a human. I'm one. Uh, But we we actually ask that question in in a number of ways. And maybe you've thought of that question in terms like this. Um, How do you feel truly alive? Or how do I feel truly alive? What does it mean to feel truly alive? Or... How can I live up to my true potential? It's another way of asking, what does it mean to be truly human? Or, how do you make your life really count? Maybe you've asked that question in one of those forms. So Paul answers this question in these verses, 1 through 10. Um, he says, what keeps us from being truly human, what God does in response and what it means to be truly human. So we're going to look at those three things, what keeps us from being truly human, what God does, and then what it really means to be human. So verses 1 through 3 describe how humanity, being a human being, is distorted. Um, notice Paul gives this shocking statement in verse 1. Just look at verse 1. I don't have this on, on the screen. Just look at it. Verse 1 Paul gives a shocking statement. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All right, so let's let's not just glance over that. Dead? Well, Paul, how could we have been dead if you can see very plainly for yourself that we're alive? Um, how could we have been dead? And Paul says, well. You were dead in your transgressions. The word for transgression um, is a word for a misstep. We've taken wrong steps. We we've been going down the wrong path. So Psalm one opens the the book of Psalms, and it it sets the stage for the wisdom that the entire book of Psalms gives to us. And this is what Psalm 1 says, beginning and end. Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Psalm 1 ends. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. So transgressions and sin is this path that you walk down. And it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction not because you're happily walking along and then get swallowed up in a giant hole and then you're no more. That's not generally, how the path of transgression and sins leads to destruction, but rather um, think of death, certainly leading ultimately to, to physical death, but death is a distortion, a disfiguring of who you were truly meant to be. And the further that you walk down in this path, the more disfigured you become. God wants you to be a real human being, someone that lives into God's purposes for being human. And you may be thinking, okay, hold on there. You're kind of losing me when you keep talking about what it means to be truly human, because I think I know what it means to be truly human. I am one of them. It means being this warm-blooded, red-blooded person. Uh, being human means to have reason, be able to think with intelligence, someone that has intelligence, independence, intelligent independence, who can act thoughtfully in life. I know what it means to be a human being, and I'm living it. I'm living the human life. So what the Bible does, the Bible says that there is more to being a human being than we can figure out on our own. We need someone looking in from the outside to show us and to tell us what it means to be truly human. So in this passage, Paul mentions three ways people go down this, this pathway that, that slowly leads or maybe even quickly leads to death and destruction. Um three faulty ways of understanding what it means to be human. He says it in verses 2 and 3. So let's go through verses 2 and 3. I want you to see if you can pick out the three ways that uh, we um, can stay down this path that leads to destruction. So starting in verse 2, Paul says, You were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you... One, followed the ways of this world. Two, you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient, Satan, the devil. All of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying, gratifying. three, the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and its thoughts. So here are three ways that Paul says we miss God's mark for being a true human being is this. When we follow in the path of worldly society, when we follow in the path of the devil, when we follow the path of fleshly desires, when we do that, we learn a distorted view of being human. So we're going to go through all three of these. Uh, First, Uh, Following worldly society. Worldly society tells us being human is about being producers. It's one of the big things that we learn about uh, being human. When we just listen to being a productive member of human society. If you were to take a cultural snapshot today and ask, what is society, society telling us about the goal of life? One of the things, I mean, look at all the technological advancements taking place today. One of the things, one of the big things that society tells us today is to advance, to evolve, to go to the next level of productivity, to be uh, technologically innovative. Because if we do those things, we will be able to answer life's questions. Greatest problems. The world tells us to be producers. The world world tells us to be problem solvers. Now, having said that, I know that this congregation is full of great problem solvers and people who produce great work. So, it's not solving problems and producing great work in itself. That is, the problem, because it's not, those are great things, solving problems, producing good stuff. Um, here's how Henry Nowen, Henry, Henry Nowen was, um, he was a Catholic priest, he taught at Yale, and he, and, he, and he wrote profusely about the spiritual life. And here's what Henry Nowen said is the real temptation about being a producer. He said, It's a temptation to be spectacular. The world says, be spectacular. Go and make something of yourself out there. The problem is when we think that if we aren't spectacular or if we aren't being productive, then we aren't living up to our human potential. So that's the the first error that we can make, is when we think life is about going out and proving yourself and being spectacular. Second thing, Satan, following the pathway of the devil. Satan tells us being human is about deciding for ourselves what is right and wrong. I mean, you remember the the Genesis 3 story, right? Where Satan, in the form of the serpent, tempts Eve to eat that fruit, that one fruit that was forbidden uh by God, that she would eat it. And what essentially the devil tells her is, you be your own master. You lead yourself. You figure out for yourself what you want to do. You determine for yourself if eating that fruit would be good or bad, right or wrong. You be true to yourself. Do what you want to do. You be you. And we hear that from you know, out there through society, but also coming. I mean, that's the temptation of the devil, Genesis chapter 3. So we can be tricked into believing that what it means to be human is to be your own authentic self, be true to you. And then the third thing that Paul mentions in these opening verses uh, fleshly desires. Fleshly desires tell us that being human is all about being a pleasure seeker. Uh, what is life about? Someone might answer, well, it's about living life to the fullest. It's about uh, seeing all the sights. It's about owning all the, the newest stuff. It's about being sensual. It's about enjoying life. Don't have your head so high in the clouds that you don't enjoy this life now. So Henry Nowen looks at this this temptation. And he said, this is really the temptation to be relevant. Be relevant in life. You know, think about Jesus when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. What was the first way that the devil tempted Jesus? Jesus had been out there for 40 days. He was hungry. He was he, he, he fasted for 40 days, had no food. The devil said, Jesus, why don't you be relevant? You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Do something useful for yourself. Be relevant. All of these three things are distortions of God's intent for us. God, let's talk about how they're distortions. God, it's in fact true that God did intend for us to have dominion to address problems. But we've turned that into domination, and we want to create for ourselves our own future. God did intend for us to, to have influence, to lead, but not by rejecting his ultimate authority. And God did intend for us to live physically in a physical world, but not primarily as pleasure seekers. These are three distortions of God's intent for a human being. Now, the interesting thing is that many people would look at someone who is taking charge, someone who is spectacular, doing great things, very relevant things, and say, that's a somebody. Now, that's a somebody right there. That's someone living up to their full potential. So what's the difference between that and the life that God wants for you? I think this is the main difference. God created you first and foremost to be in a relationship with him. And God knows. We don't know this apart from God telling us this. But God knows is that when we are not in a relationship with him, we are dead. We don't have his life in us. And so Paul next says what God does. When we're when we're blindly unable to to get on this other path of true humanity, God steps in. Look at what God does in these two really spectacular verses, uh, verses four and five. Look at these verses again. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So let's look at two things that God does. God looked on us in mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy is something that you give to or show to someone who is pitiable. And you might say, well, I don't want to be shown pity. Um. And that's the thing about seeing someone as pitiable. They don't have to want to be shown pity for, for them to be pitiable. And so it is with us. Um, God sees us as people to be pitied. Uh, That doesn't mean that we knew we needed pity when we were dead in our transgressions, because you probably didn't. Uh, Just because someone is a Christian, or isn't a Christian, doesn't mean that that person is a miserable person. It is possible to not be a Christian and to be very happy. But just because you might be happy doesn't mean that you're not pitiable. Isn't that interesting? Who gets to be the one showing the pity? It's the one on the outside, the one looking in, the one with the true perspective, and that's God. And God sees this human race with pity because he knows that apart from him and his saving hand at work, we're not who he truly planned us to be. As a friend of mine would say, God sees us as vandalized works of art. We aren't realizing the, the true humanity that God wants for us. And... um. The Bible teaches that we cannot make ourselves more human. No matter the innovation that we come up with, no matter the the great leadership that we show, no matter how much pleasure we experience, we cannot make ourselves more human. Without God stepping in and doing something, we can't even be aware that we're off course. We're dead on the inside apart from God's work. And if you're dead on the inside, you cannot give yourself life. You cannot see that you're on the wrong course. God has to do something first. God steps in. Look at verse 5 again. How does verse 5 begin? Ephesians 2, verse 5. And God, He made us alive. He breathed new life into our inner being. He made it possible for us to realize our desperate need for God and to reach out to God. And I hope this morning that you have felt or that you feel this desperate need for God. Um, it may seem like everything else is going great in your life. It may seem like everything is in its right place. Maybe maybe your school is going great, great grades, great great friends, jobs going great, family hey no complaints. Maybe it seems to you that everything is in its right place in your life. But you were made to be in a relationship with God. He made you for eternity, and you cannot receive that relationship with God by having everything else in its right place in your life. You can only receive. It by putting your faith in the love of Jesus Christ. And so the other thing that God has done, end of verse 5, it says that God has saved us by grace. He saved us by grace. Let me suggest a thought. Being saved by God's grace means that 100 0.0000% of your salvation is given to you by God. Not 99.99999%. The full 100 exact amount of your salvation is given to you by God. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not. From yourselves. It is the gift of God. And the word this that I've highlighted there, this refers to your whole salvation, the salvation that you've received, grace that you've received, your faith is included in that. All of that is a gift of God. He gives it to you. And and you just receive it. You don't do anything to acquire it or to procure it or to earn it. You don't show your sincerity to God first, and then he says, okay, let me give you this gift of salvation. God doesn't look ahead into your future and know, oh, what a great person you're going to be one day, and so, therefore, give you your salvation. God gives your salvation to you first. He makes you alive. He gives you his grace. And all you do is you just receive that gift. And by the way, don't think of your salvation thinly here. What I mean by a thin view of salvation is salvation is that thing that happens to you when you die, you go off to heaven. That's, that's a thin view of salvation. That's a small, that's a great, I mean, hey, that's, that's a great thing, right? But that is, that's not full. That's not a full view of salvation. It's not a thick view of salvation. Um, the Old and New Testament understanding of salvation is that you are brought into God's security, God's safety, God's provision. That is God's salvation. We sung about it earlier. End of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, and that verb there really means will pursue me. Surely your goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Salvation is God's riches now in this life. God's riches forever in God's in God's uh, presence. Salvation is God's riches. This life and the life to come. You may have heard uh, grace explained that way. That grace is God's riches at Christ. I have a slide for that. Yeah, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's that's an old that's an old pastory way of putting grace. It's a pretty good way of putting grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives Himself to us. That salvation. And then we give ourselves to God as a response to that salvation, not as a trigger of our salvation. And it's really important that we understand this because I, w- I want you to notice this small phrase at the end of verse 9. End of verse 9. Uh, well, here's verse 9. Not by works. And here's the end. So that no one can boast. And that's a really strong causal connector in that verse. It is, it is our salvation is not by works causing for the purpose of no one being able to boast. It makes me wonder why does God not want us to boast? I'm not talking about boasting about like a great performance you gave or a great test score. Or not, not that kind of boasting, boasting in our life, boasting in our life with God. Um, why is it that God does not want us to boast? So that we'll stay dependent on Him. God never wants us to get complacent. God never wants us to think, "Oh, well, things are going pretty well in my spiritual life now. I, I could, I got my act all together. I can coast." God doesn't want us to think, um, "Oh, you know, I uh, cruise control from now on in my Christianity." Um, God wants us to keep coming to Him for our for His gifts. God wants us to keep being grateful for how He works in our lives. God wants us to see Him as our primary sustainer, so that we will depend on Him. Think of your salvation as your dependence upon God. The old Anglican pastor Dick Lucas. Um, many of you haven't, might not have heard a Dick Luke, Lucas sermon. They're worth listening to. And here's how he puts out salvation. Salvation. Salvation is losing my independence so I can gain dependence on Christ. Why why would God want us to depend on him? Because he wants us to put our hope fully in his love. That's why God says, just trust in my love. I will not fail you. Psalm 147 says, the Lord delights in those who fear him. In those who put their hope in His unfailing love, you can never out hope what God's love will do for you. Now you can trivialize God's love and think, oh, it's all about just providing us with stuff, providing us with a God, the job that we want, the house that we want, this and that. No. You can never out hope the good that God wants to bring to you out of His great love for you. You can't out-hope God's love. You can't out-hope God's tender, tender love for you. You can't out-hope how much God desires to walk through this life with you. And what what, what God does is He... Is he, or, what Paul, as he writes these verses, what God speaking through Paul does, is he sets us up for this great picture, finally, of true humanity in Ephesians 2, verse, verse 10. True humanity, we are his, or God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Going through each of those little parts there. We are God's workmanship. Notice the word that you filled in. You're God's workmanship. Or if you prefer the, the, how the NI, the New International Version puts it, you're God's handiwork. They mean the same thing. And I have to tell you, every time that I've read that verse, and I've read that verse a lot, every time that I've read that verse, I have always read the emphasis on workmanship. Uh, putting, putting kind of the emphasis on just the artistry, the, the, in, the deliberate artistry with which God has made us. That's how I've always seen it. You're God's workmanship. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's handiwork. But the real emphasis of that verse is his. You're God's. You... The the verse actually reads like this. His workmanship we are. See, the temptation... It's what the world wants you to do, to see your life as your own workmanship, your own handiwork, and for you to try to prove your own worth, try to be productive, try to be innovative, try to be spectacular, try to be relevant. No. You are handiwork. You are workmanship, but you're God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus, and we... Toss around the phrase, you know, being a self-made man. Let me tell you, that's a contradiction in terms. To be truly human means to be created in Christ, to be a Christ-made man or woman. We're made for Christ, made for a real union with Christ, and then for Christ's life to just overflow out of our, our life. Last phrase from that, verse 10, we're saved not by good works, but for good works. So we don't do good works trying to prove that we're somebody. We do good works because we are already somebody. And if you have ever been made to feel inferior because you don't feel productive enough, no, that isn't a measure of your humanity at all. I want us to know that true being a truly human person is nothing short of walking in union with Christ Jesus. It's nothing short of that. And we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll prepare our hearts for that in a moment, or even now as we listen attentively to God. Communion is so much more than a memorial meal. I want to read what the Belgic Confessions, one of our church's confessions, says about the Lord's Supper. It puts it like this. Through this communion meal, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. Now what is that? That is union with Christ. That is Him, His life in you, giving you life giving life to your inner being. And that's what it means to be truly human. And if you have never responded to God's invitation into into this full expression of being a human being, God's invitation to receive life, to get off of that destructive path, to walk down the path of life, you can do that this very morning. You can receive the gift of salvation, God's riches. God's riches in this life and in the life to come. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us life. You make it possible. You gave yourself, you sacrificed your life on the cross so that we could receive life. And by faith, just by believing in your love, we receive this gift, this priceless gift of salvation and life with you. Lord, will you help us to see ourselves through uh, through that lens, and that lens only that you loved us so much that you were willing to die for us, to give up your life so that you could have us, so that you could claim us as your very own. Help us to know that that love in our inner being. In Jesus' name, amen.